Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Mo and Friends Sports Podcast. I'm Mo, he's Eric, and we're here to tell you everything you need to know about the NBA Finals. Eric, how's it going? Good, thanks. How are you going? Good, mate. Uh, look, you know, growing up, we're always told about, you know, opportunities come, come around in life and you just have to be ready for that moment to seize it and to run with it. And that's exactly what the Toronto Raptors did. Yeah, it's it's a really good analogy for um, their entire season from, I guess, the start where they picked up Kawhi and shipped off their their previous star to getting rid of the coach to, to everything they've done this season. They've just taken, they've made gambles and they've taken their opportunities. Yep. And it's incredible when you think about everything that happened, like you mentioned in the preseason, right? You sack the coach who won coach of the year. We spoke about Masai and all the risks that he's taken uh, throughout this season. It was really looking a bit slow to get together, but finally they sort of clicked. They had a couple of lucky breaks during the, the playoffs, notably beating the Sixers with that shot from Kawhi. But ultimately, even with everything they did, you know, upgrading the superstar, bringing in Marcus Ole, Ibaka going to the bench, Kyle Lowry buying in with the changes. If Kevin Durant does not get injured, I still don't think they win this series. But, and that's where the opportunity comes in for mine, Kevin Durant gets injured. Are you ready to take your chance? Because you may not get another one. And are you ready to take that next step and actually win the first championship in the franchise's history? And they did that. They were able to take advantage of the circumstance, not get carried away with what's happening and step up at the right time to win the championship. Yeah, this championship has left me with more mixed feelings than any other championship because of the the way it was done. I I would have loved to have seen uh, a healthy Golden State team compete and go down at the end of their dynasty, but to have such catastrophic injuries happen to to Clay and to Kevin, and in the space of about four days, they just watched the whole thing splinter into a million pieces so you've got Durant losing his Achilles he's out for a year Clay's lost an ACL he's going to be out for a year and then so you're going to have next year if you brought both of those guys back it's going to be the Steph show for for a year but with all of your cap blown on those two other guys so it's a really kind of sad ending to the, the end of this dynasty. Yeah, look, my, my view is it's, it's going to go on a year break. I don't think it's going to end per se. You know, listening to, to Brian Windhorst, who was saying that Golden State are looking to give max contracts to both Clay and Kevin Durant. And while that brings out their whole payroll with the luxury tax to over $350 million, the fact that they're moving to San Francisco will apparently more than compensate for that with all the money they'll get from the new center they're playing in. So they'll have that year off. The thing is, and you know, you go back to what happened with Clay and how he landed awkwardly uh, on that knee. The way he was playing yesterday, he had 30 points in 32 minutes with a couple of minutes still left in the third quarter. I think he would have ended up with 40 plus. My view is Golden State win that game if Clay's still on. Do you, are you of the same opinion there? I, I am. When cause I was at work, so I didn't get to watch it live, but you're just watching his numbers ratchet up. And like game game six, Clay is a special, special player. And you could you were looking at his numbers and looking at the clock, and I was just thinking, he's he's going off. And I don't think I've ever seen a game, because of the way that he explodes, I've never seen a game where he blows up and they lose because he doesn't need to hog the ball. His points are really fast. 
So he can put a whole bunch on you and give you the opportunity to also get more possessions because of how quick he, he turns things around. I think they would have won that and then they'd be they'd be back at Toronto. And then then I think that's a very different mental disposition for the Toronto team. To be up 3-1 and then to be going home with it even, it would have been interesting to see if they had the maturity to not falter if that had been the case. Look, absolutely. And that's the thing. You, you take a team to game seven uh, at home, expect it to win, and then the doubts start creeping in. You just don't know which team's going to rock up, if they're going to get tight. Shots that were falling by by bench players and role players may not fall as much. I mean, I think they went into Golden State saying, you know what, we're 3-2 up. Uh, if we win, we win. If we don't, we can go home and close. So I think they played a lot uh, more freely than they would have otherwise. And I think it showed with how Kyle Lowry started this game, going 11-0 to begin and scoring all of the... Uh, all of Toronto's points in that first quarter to, to start off, all the first 11 points, and really forcing Curry to play defense. And then they had to switch Curry off him and they put him on Van Vliet, who then himself had 22 points after a slow start. He hit five threes and he gave him, you know, really good productivity off the bench. And then everyone else had an amazing game as well. So, you know, Leonard wasn't his best self, but Siakam stepped up. Lowry stepped up, Ibaka gave them 15 points off the bench. And I think playing with that freedom where, you know, I don't even know if they were favorites really going into that game in Golden State. So just having... I don't think they were the betting favorites, no. No. And so I think being able to play with that freedom allowed them to have a much better game than they would have otherwise. Uh, And yeah, like I said, you take advantage of what happened because, you know, Clay goes down and then you really have to close it out because outside of Curry... And that brings us to the Warriors set up, their bench and the support they would provide. Once, Car- once uh, Thompson went down, there was no one else to, have, to help Steph uh, score. And you could see by the help defense, they were playing against Steph and sort of you know, overloading uh, Steph's side, whoever was um, defending him. That you know what, if, if Equidola and, I don't know, McKinney and Cousins are going to beat us, then so be it. And you saw that in the last few minutes where their points were scored by DeMarcus Cousins actually driving to the basket. And I think they were happy giving away free throw shots and, you know, tough layups for DeMarcus underneath the basket rather than collapsing in and letting Curry, you know, shoot open threes. And that's why he ended up with three of 11 shooting as well. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you, you look at it and it really shows you that you – you can't just have one superstar and and a team of nobodies around him these days. The the quality out there is just too good because if that's your only option, I mean, that, that's kind of what happened to the Knicks with Melo. Like you knew that was the only danger. So you could just clamp down on him and then it stifles the entire team. I mean, at, at the end, they just, it it just seems they were never destined to, to win this one. They just kept breaking. And the guys who were, who were playing, a lot of them were playing with injuries as well. So I I think it's a I think it's a healthy thing for the league that there's a new um, there's a new champion there, but it I would have liked to have seen them just get straight out outgunned. But it was also really interesting seeing with the way they'd been resting Kawhi during the season. It forced the rest of the team to learn how to play when he wasn't playing well. So even though they had that one superstar there, they had a lot of depth overall. 
And they, it wasn't a big change for them to say, oh, he's having a bad game, we're going to crumple. It's, it was just a kind of like them saying, well, we've done this 20 times this year, let's just pick up the slack and away we go. So it was, I, I don't know if they'd thought about that when they were resting Kawhi, but I think their ability in this game to react to Kawhi having a poor game um, I think that was down to how much rest he got and then being forced to learn how to play. Yeah, look, that's a great point. And I guess looking now, they've validated the way they've nursed him through the season and giving him you know, time off to make sure that he's 100% when he needs to be. And actually, he carried them through a few of those earlier games, obviously going to, to zip down to Milwaukee uh, in that series and then the tough series against the Sixers. I think Kawhi's experience toughness, his ability to get his own shot really came to the fore and helped them navigate those series. And by the time they got to the finals, I think they were like, you know what, we don't have anything to lose. We haven't been here before. Uh, we weren't even expected to come out of the East given, you know, Kawhi was resting and then, you know, how high we all were really on the Bucks, especially after taking a two-zip lead, right? And then they just really uh, elevated to the to the occasion. You know, now Kawhi's a two-time finals MVP, two-time champion, Eric. I think he turns 28 next month. Where does that put him uh, when it comes to the modern day in terms of the best players in the league? Um, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I kind of have him, not overall legacy-wise, but where they currently are sitting in terms of the league. When Kevin busted his Achilles, I just thought, all right, you're kind of out of the conversation at the moment. And then it sort of falls down to between him. And I know LeBron didn't have a great season, but I still look at LeBron at being at that level where if he's healthy, I think he's still capable of being extremely dominant. And I've kind of got the two sitting next to each other at the moment where I don't know how to split them. I think in terms of who had a better year, it's, it's Kawhi and, He's still kind of young enough to be playing hard at both ends of the court, whereas LeBron's kind of at the age where he's conserving his his body. Uh, and I think Kawhi's going to get there. You can't play the way he plays forever. Something will break down. So I've got him sitting up the top level with LeBron. If, if, I, if push came to shove, I would put him slightly ahead as the best player in the game only because of the outcomes of their season at the end. But, but going into next year, if LeBron's healthy, it could go either way. I think LeBron's a really good chance to land the MVP of the league next year if he gets a, a good second star to play with him. Because I think if that if that LA team got into the, the playoffs, I think they would have, you know, I would have picked the Lakers with LeBron in the playoffs to beat Portland, probably would have picked them to, to beat Denver. If LeBron's a machine, and but at the moment, based on them winning the title, I've I've got Kawhi sitting at the the top of the list in terms of best players at the game at the moment. And and you know it's funny you mentioned that about uh, LeBron and the Lakers. They've actually opened up as the favourites for next season to win the championship um, already. Uh, given <laughs> they don't even have AD yet. No. That's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's it's sort of that preemptiveness by by Vegas and and the bookies of you know what they will land another superstar with LeBron. I think that's the view because also the Clippers are third favorites, right? So you've got, you've got mm. the Lakers, then the Bucks, and then the Clippers. And obviously the view here is two stars on, on the Warriors are out. 
uh, for the whole season. And then outside of that, you're sort of saying, well, it's a free-for-all. If LeBron gets another superstar, there's no one else anymore in the West with all the injuries the Warriors have to really challenge. You know, CP3 is another year older and Harden can only do so much by himself there. And so it's it's actually ripe. I think if LeBron is healthy, yeah, and now he's that, got to caveat that. If he's healthy... Yeah, now that you've actually explained that out, uh, you think about it and you just think, yeah, actually, I can't think of I can't think of anybody in the in the West. Uh, you know, one of the nice storylines out of this season has been the the rising quality in the East. I don't think that Philly or the Bucks or Toronto are going to be a walkover. But in terms of the West, if he lands AD, yeah, I don't. Depending on what they have to give up to get him, yeah, he they probably are the favourite in the West. Yeah, it, look, it, it's crazy. Just Again, circumstance and opportunities, right? You, yeah, that's you, insane. You, out of no work of, of your own, you find yourself in a position where you're actually going to be competitive, you know, straight off the bat in, in your conference. And there's actually an, an easier path now compared to the East and, you know, what's been happening with, with Philly, with Milwaukee. If Toronto lose Kawhi, they could be rebuilding very quickly all of a sudden, but then the Celtics will still be useful. Yeah, I don't – I'm just thinking about what's going to happen with Kawhi. It's got to be hard to walk away from a city when you've just won a championship and they're, they're treating you well. I mean, he's If you look at all the superstars in their hometowns, I, I don't think any – group of fans loves any star as much as Toronto probably love Kawhi at the moment. It's it's going to be insane. Yeah, look, it's definitely, you know, winning winning cures everything, even homesickness. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he um he spent a winter in Toronto now, so he knows how that feels. But in in all seriousness, you're winning, you're you're really the king king of the north, quite literally, <laughs> right? He's king of the north. He can do what he wants uh, up there. They love him. He's a reigning finals MVP now. They've proven they can do it in the East. So, yeah, will it cure homesickness for him? Will he then sign and, and get a contract extension or is he still hell-bent on going back to California? So, that, you know, that's something for him to to think about. Well, what I wanted to raise with you is it's a five-year run now. These Golden State Warriors have won three of five championships. We all know the circumstances that they've been through from you know, finals number one to finals number five. How does this loss reflect on this dynasty's legacy? You know, considering the injuries, I don't think it's a huge thing, but that's not the way history ever kind of remembers you. The The context of everything that's going on gets gets lost. Like when you look at, at Jordan, it, everybody's saying, oh, yeah, Jordan, you know, he never lost it in the NBA finals, but we brush over that he only went to six out of like 18 or something like that. So it means he didn't make the finals 12 times. So you context kind of just disappears. And I think that this one they'll will, and I guess it depends on how they come back from it, but this one, I think would get looked at as a little bit of a, it kind of knocks them back a touch. Because if they, if they'd three-peated here, there'd be no argument that from people that this is a better run than like the Kobe and Shaq Lakers. Like there'd be debates here and there about who would win if they played each other, but you couldn't really argue that, that it wasn't better. They had a three-peat, but they also had that fourth championship in five years. So I think it's kind of, thrown them into a pack with debate about where they land with some of these other 
other dynasties. I think they're potentially in an argument with the Spurs run that, that sort of came after the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. For, for me, I still think that barring injuries, they would have won this. I'm probably looking at probably the best modern day dynasty. The, the game's changed and I still wonder what that, Shaq and Kobe Lakers would be like if they played each other. I think you'd have to debate the rules that you play under. But I, I still look at that and think, I just don't see how they stop Shaq. Like, Shaq was just a beast. Mm. Um, but I think it's kind of, they were they would have sat firmly behind Jordan's bulls in the modern day era. Whereas now I think they're kind of in a debate with the Shaq and Kobe Lakers and the, the Duncan Spurs era about is this better than than that particular era? I personally feel like they're a little bit ahead just because of the way it happened, but I don't think that's how history are going to remember them. And, you know, like three-peat is sort of the golden standard in NBA basketball when it comes to dynasties and the rankings, etc., because it has proven over time to prove so difficult to do. I mean, as you mentioned, that Kobe Shaq team is still the last team to three-peat. And it just shows you how much needs to go right for you to do that. But also in the grand scheme of things, right? I mean, and I feel, and, and you know, obviously that, that is my view, I feel that Golden State Warriors run and the championships, championships they have are tainted in a way because of how the deck was stacked after that loss in the 73 and 9 season. They were taken to six games by LeBron, and I guess the excuse for them there, in, in my view, given you know who LeBron had with him, they were still new to this. It was their first final, so I think you, sh- you give a little bit of slack there that you're not going to you know sweep a team that you're meant to sweep or maybe lose one game too. But you know LeBron's just LeBron being there sort of gives you a couple of games anyway. Then you go ahead and you manage to uh, you know blow a three-one lead in the finals. Uh, and you lose to Cleveland. And instead of coming back the next season and just going, you know what, this team went 73-9, and we're just going to come and win this again. You add a Kevin Durant, right? And then you're like, you know what, this is actually a bit ridiculous. You've added Durant. The the deck is stacked so heavily in your favor that anything less than a championship is a complete disappointment. And so you win those two with Kevin, then Kevin goes down and you lose a fifth one. So historically... I just don't know, unless they come back and there's like a redemption story season after next or whatever, that these guys, you know, they show the longevity, they show that sticking together, they show the way they play still wins you basketball games. I think compared to many of the other dynasties, they would still, you know, rank towards the bottom uh, of that pile. Yeah, it's an interesting debate, which, which is, and it's a fair one as well. I guess nobody's ever quite done what Durant did where you go to a 73-win team and you're, you're probably the best player in the league. No one's ever stacked Man, it it's quite like that what, heavily. Like Olajuwon joining Jordan, right, or, or Stockton being the point guard for Michael Jordan and St- Scottie Pippen after losing the, that champ, the first championship they lost to the Bulls in. Like, that's how in, insane that was. Yeah, and then... And even though it didn't work out that well, I remember when when Boogie went to to Golden State, and I was just sitting there thinking, "This is getting beyond ridiculous. It's it's not that far off the dream team at the moment." You just look at it and just think, "This this starting five, these these guys would probably all end up in a in a 
in the US Olympic squad if you if they're all healthy. So it's one of those things where I think it's a it's a pretty good argument. I don't know if it's an argument about how good the team was, but I think it is it's definitely a good argument about what the legacy of the team is. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And, you know, that'll be debated ad nauseum for a long time. Just a couple of side notes, Eric, um, you know, a couple of funny things out of this finals. So Patrick McCaw has been in the league for three seasons. And now I know. He's, yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. I saw that. The other one is that, you know, it's, Jeremy Lin is now an yeah, NBA baby. champion. <laughs> Jeremy Lin's an <laughs> NBA champion. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's one of those things that you look at and just think, yeah, this is there's there's so many good little storylines out of this, which is nice because at the end of a dynasty, you can look at it and how much everything's shifted and you're like, oh wow, check that out. That's 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 weird and and different. But yeah, three years, three championships. How many how many games has he started? Yeah, I don't think he started very many, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, even, I, I think he had zero minutes in these finals as well. So uh, yeah, and even now, Jody Meeks has won a championship. So uh, you know, yeah, the, we had in the the Knicks subreddit, um, there were Raptors fans coming in and saying, "Hey, um, did you know that Jeremy Lin has played more um, NBA Finals games than Melo?" And it's just this huge, huge argument erupting online, where it's just people coming in and slagging off the the Knicks. But I, I think it's really good for the league that we got a new champion. Um, okay. Even though I'm a, a little bit upset that that you know that the Clay and and Katie got hurt. I mean, I I don't know that I'm ever going to see players quite as good as those guys as what they do. I hope I do. But they're they're kind of the gold standard, like Clay for spot up shooting and Katie for scoring. I mean, I'm I may never see guys as good as this again yeah. at, at the way they do what they do, and in the middle of their primes, we're we're now going to lose a year, and they may not be the same when they come back. So it's it's a little bit sad to see that happening. I think it's pretty much destroyed the future plans of the Knicks. Um, I don't know. I don't know where we go from here. I think I saw this morning that Jimmy Butler is is opting out of out of his Philly contract, um, which kind of scares me because I, I was looking at it thinking, oh yeah, he's probably going to turn up turn up at the Knicks. But you know, I, I think that there'll be a lot of teams willing to give Katie a contract, even if it means he sits on the bench for a year. No, definitely. But I think what becomes more difficult is getting that second star to come along and say, look, Katie's going to sit down for a year. You're going to carry this team. And in the case of the Knicks, you're going to be really bad for 12 months of your career. That's potentially a hard sell for a lot of guys. So I I think it makes New York a a bit of a bad proposition because do you really want to – do you really want to go and sit – sorry, not sit, but go play at a team while Katie sits – Hoping that he's going to come back and be the same player that he was before, and it's if it's if it's one star and it's not KD, it's a write-off year probably for whoever it is that turns up there. There's a lot of work to do, um, and New York are throwing the all their eggs in the basket of getting a couple of big stars, and I don't know if that's going to happen anymore. I, I think that you'll see a lot of people trying to sign those other big guys as fast as possible because. Now that KD's been pulled out, I think you might get some people panic and starting to throw around bigger trades than they have to just because they're worried they're going to get left out. Yeah, look, I mean, definitely those injuries. Because even 
not that he, he was going to be on the market for sure, but even Clay's injury means that he's no longer an option anyway. And yeah, definitely KD's injury just blown the market wide open, completely messed up uh, everyone's plans. But two more weeks, uh, Eric, till free agency, and it's going to be a very, very fun time. Yeah, I think that I'm almost convinced that AD is going to go to the, the Lakers. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he's going to go there. I, I think they've got to be kicking themselves at some extent because I don't think that they'll get as good a deal for AD as what they were offered um, the first time around. And they're, they're running out of time. I think even though people are trying to spin it the other way, I think just the, the timing of it means that the, the negotiating position of, of the Pelicans is kind of eroding. If he sets foot on the court, they're not going to get anything for him. And people are just going to wait because they, they know that it's done and, and the Pelicans won't get any trade for him. So... I think that he's probably going to end up at the Lakers, and then yeah, you've convinced me that the bookies are probably right. I think he's, I think he's going to win in the West, but I think he'll have a fight on his hands with the East. Yeah, no, it's going to be lots of fun. Thanks for that, Eric. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks everyone for listening in. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and we'll talk to you soon.